Disrupting Japan, episode 85. Disrupting Japan is sponsored by Justa. Now, I've known the team at Justa for years, and I've been recommending them long before they became a sponsor. Justa is really the only recruiting site that gets bilingual startups. Whether you're looking for American engineers or Japanese sales staff or the other way around, Justa can help you out. Unlike recruiting companies, they are priced to be very startup friendly, and unlike job boards, they're an active part of the startup community here, and they're trusted by some of the best talent Japan has to offer. So drop by justa.io and see what they're about. Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Now, Long term listeners know that this show is not really about startups. Well, of course it's about startups, but it's about so much more than that. Japanese startups give us a unique perspective on Japanese society. Looking at the problems that need to be solved, the path people are taking to try to solve them, and seeing what challenges society throws up against them. Can tell us more about a country or a society than mountains of surveys and piles of longitudinal studies. Startups tell us the kind of future that people envision and how the present plans on resisting the future. Nowhere is this more true than with today's guest, Ayako Shimizu, founder of Hikari Labs. Ayako is developing and marketing video games to treat mental illness. And she has the clinical data that shows the approach has real therapeutic value. And yet, perhaps unsurprisingly, Japanese academia and the medical industry as a whole have been, well, let's just say less than supportive of her efforts. But still, she's seen steady increases in both the number of users and growing interest from a surprising segment of corporate Japan. But you know, Ayako tells that story much better than I can. So let's hear from our sponsor and get right to the interview. Some of Japan's largest companies are starting open innovation programs and actively reaching out to global startups. They're new at this, and that's where Crew, with two W's, comes in. Crew runs corporate startup accelerators for companies like Toyota and Panasonic and dozens more. And these programs are one of the best ways to jumpstart your business in Japan. Many are open to global startups and they're completely free. Now, I've known and worked with the crew team, and they're probably doing more than anyone to bridge the gap between corporate Japan and global startups. So drop by crew with two W's dot ME slash four hyphen startups and get started. So I'm sitting here with Ayako Shimizu of Hikari Labs. And thanks for sitting down with me. Thank you, Tim, for inviting me here. Now, Hikari Labs is focused on improving mental health through software, I guess.、Mm -hmm. But、um, why don't you tell us a bit about what Hikari Labs does and what its mission is? Okay, well, Hikari Labs currently h a v e two services、uh, one is online counseling called Kokoro Works, and another one is Uh, this gaming application called Sparks, which was developed in the University of Auckland in New Zealand. And our mission is to help shape a society that the psychological care is more reachable to people.
let's talk about each of these individually. And yeah. later on, we're also going to talk about your new AI project. Okay, okay. But the Sparks project is really interesting. It's a role-playing game mm-hmm. that's based on behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. So what exactly is cognitive behavioral therapy? Cognitive behavioral therapy is one kind of counseling, which effect has been proven in many studies uh, for depression and for anxiety disorders. It's basic level. Cognitive behavioral therapy considers that thought, emotion, and behavior are interconnected. So it aims to change one's emotion and behavior through altering one's thought. So like, for example, if you say, well, there are several bad things happened today and today wasn't a good day at all, which is uh, one of cognitive distortion called overgeneralization. It's like having a few bad things a day doesn't make our entire bad day. It's your cognition that makes the entire day a bad day. Okay. If, if that's no, so it's your, it's your <laughs> focusing on the bad things that yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, try to adjust people's thought in a little bit more positive way or like realistic way. So I could see how that would work in a, a counseling session mm-hmm. where you would have a, a therapist that would just kind of guide the, the patient towards the more positive things. Mm-hmm. But how does that work in the Sparks role-playing game? Uh, so, yeah, Sparks is a role-playing game and it's based on CBT method. And how that it works is very unique. So you, your avatar is in a fantasy world which balance of mood was destroyed. So it's a very negative world and your avatar goes in the world and save the world through learning CBT. So like those negative feeling character attack you and you have to defend yourself by giving more positive comments or um, realistic comments. Oh, I see. So, so in a sense, the gameplay is having the character counteract these negative thoughts uh-huh. and negative yeah, directions yeah, yeah, yeah. and that trains the person to do uh-huh. the same thing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it, makes you learn different kinds of cognitive distortion. So through playing game, you learn um, different kind of cognitive distortion. And in real life, you kind of notice, oh, this might be, I'm feeling down, but this might be, oh, that kind of cognitive distortion I'm having. I can like maybe adjust the way I feel. That's a really interesting idea. Is there any like clinical data or or studies that back up Oh, whether yeah. it's effective or not? Oh yeah, actually, so uh, this was created by the uh, medical team of University of Auckland in New Zealand. The suicide rate among teen is very high in New Zealand, so it was uh, originally a national project. The developers of Sparks found that it was, uh, or the remission rate of depression was 43.7%, which is pretty high, and they concluded that Sparks was as effective as uh, face-to-face therapy. Huh. Mm. So you brought this game to Japan last year, in 2016, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how has it been received in Japan? Well, um, for I haven't been started at advertisement a lot. So uh, even though I haven't done much advertisement, I think it's been spreading among those people who needs help. So, so how many how many users? Do you have? <laughs> uh, for a game, it's very small population. It's uh, like or around two thousand uh, users. But it was originally a thousand yen, and now we changed to two thousand yen. But most of the applications are free these days. Uh-huh. I think two thousand user is pretty good for like 
uh, without any advertisement. This is interesting to try to market this as a game,、mm-hmm. um, which I mean, in one sense it is, but the game business model doesn't really apply as well. Yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> no. Are you marketing this as a game? Are you marketing it as therapy and or kind of self help or how do you? Yeah, I, I'm marketing this as a self help tool, but a lot of times there are many kinds of self help application already, but then. Those applications seems too serious for some people. So, like by saying this is a self help, but still a role playing game, then those people who are a little bit still hesitated to reach some carers, they're more open to use. So, huh?、Mm. So, who are you targeting with the game? Is it is、mm. it teens? Is it young adults?、Mm. Is it the whole spectrum of <laughs> everyone that plays games?、Yeah. No, it was.、Um, I was open to anyone, but then I found out most users are male, aged from thirty to fifty, and which is very interesting because those are the the age that has high rate of depression, and plus those are the age who are used to using smartphones. So in New Zealand, it was targeting teens.、Mm-hmm. But in Japan, you've、mm-hmm. seen the biggest use among thirty to fifty.、Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's interesting. That that is interesting. And what's more interesting is that depression rate is much higher in female than male. But at the same time, the suicide rate in Japan,、uh, the male rate of suicide is、uh, twice as female. So which means is that a lot of male who have depression doesn't seek any care as well. Decide to suicide. So what I see is, since it's a game and it seems more lighter than all the other treatment, I think a lot of male are more open to use it. If that makes sense, I, I think that does make sense. A little later on, I want to talk about kind of the social stigma about depression in Japan.、Mm-hmm. But why is it that? Women in Japan have a higher rate of depression,、mm-hmm. but the suicide rate is higher among men.、Mm-hmm. Do do women、yeah. seek out help more? Yeah,、often? yeah, they they do. They are more talkative, so <laughs> that's what researchers say.、Um, women are more open to talk about their problems, but male、mm-hmm. are not. Even though male have a lot of friends, they don't talk about themselves that much.、So. Okay, that's pretty universal. Yeah, it is. It is very universal thing. Okay. Do you think the reason there's so many more men that are playing this game、mm-hmm. is because they need it more, or are just men more attracted to RPGs than <laughs> women are?、Uh, maybe both, but I think a male user needed help, but they couldn't find anywhere to go, and they found this application which they. Can do by themselves without notice by other people like friends or family. Like they can just do it by themselves right, anytime.、Right. So, so these kind of products are always interesting to me because、mm-hmm. it's a game, but you can't market it as a game. Yeah, because <laughs> it, it can't compete against other games that are just offering fun and that、yeah. that kind of psychological button pushing. <laughs> So, how do you market this? Do you market it through game channels like the、mm-hmm. App Store, or do you market it in conjunction with、uh, therapists、uh-huh. and mental health groups? How do you reach yeah. people?、Uh, yeah, we sell at App Store, but how we market is through SNS and through all、uh, those 
experts、um, of mental health care. Yeah, for SNS, for example, I tweet mental、um, health care advice, or I tweet、uh, what's the、uh, typical symptom of depression or anxiety disorder, and those people who Are interested in those things are following me, and yeah, I'm doing advertisement in a Twitter too. And、um, there are a lot of, or like several people who is interested in my、um, products, so they are also helping me to advertisement. Okay, and and what's been the reaction of the mental health community in Japan? I know that、uh-huh. the medical community in Japan tends to be very conservative. It is very conservative, so that. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's been tough for me. <laughs> yeah. So,、uh, psychiatrists yeah. And, and counselors, what do they think of the game? Well, psychiatrists or counselor around me are very willing to help me. They they believe those kind of、um, application or pro- any product that's more easy for users. Are very important, but at the same time, a lot of counselor or psychiatrist have their belief that that the counseling have to be face to face, or that the counseling have to be in a certain way. So, still a lot of skepticism about whether this will work or not, or whether it's appropriate, or what's I mean, what's the hesitation? The effectiveness of it has been proved in University of Auckland already. So. They cannot really doubt about the effect, but the I think it's the impression they get from game. They don't really trust the game application. I think so. It's it's just too different from what they've learned in school and uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. too、yeah. new. Yeah, and since I was in grad school when I started Hikai Lab and when I actually started um negotiation with the University of Auckland, I was worried that the professor might. Not let me do it, so I just kept it secret, and I released it right after I graduated. And <laughs> like, yeah, they called me, even though I after I was graduated, they were like,、well, they were upset.、What? Yeah. <laughs>、uh, it's interesting. This is one of the frustrations、mm-hmm. that when I'm talking to startup founders and entrepreneurs、mm-hmm. in Japan across the board, yeah,、um, a lot of people say that. <laughs> University, so, yeah. <laughs> university is just university, and I'm the one who is paying for my own education and who is paying for tax as well. <laughs> and my private time is my private time. I didn't know that I wasn't allowed to do whatever I want during my private time. <laughs> But that's that's amazing. So、yeah. <laughs> even after you graduated.、Uh-huh. And you released this game therapy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they called you up, and and what did they say? They were like, "Why didn't you tell me?" Things like that, and like they were very upset. Also, because I was running an online counseling service at the same time as well, and I was I had some friend who is still in school helping me, so they were also upset about that. They was it in. In violation of the rules, was were they worried it would reflect on the school, or was it just doing something new without permission? I think it was pretty much doing something new without per,、uh, permission. They had some,、um, they they were saying that I'm not following the ethic of the clinical psychology, but I had supervisors as well, like who was very professional, <laughs> and 
it wasn't like I was doing my own thing, own thing completely different from clinical psychology. I did it based on what I learned and I had a, a professional supervisor as well. So like there were no way I would go crazy and like mess up with clinical psychology. But like that, that was their uh, point, I guess. <laughs> but it was, I think it was pretty much that I did new things without asking them permission. Yeah. It sounds like it. Yeah. Um, well, Japanese universities and I think one of the biggest problems that exists there mm -hmm. is the level of abstraction. Mm -hmm. So, for example, most business professors in Japanese universities have never run a business. No. Um, no. Most computer science professors mm -hmm. have never had to make commercial software mm -hmm. ever in their entire career. Mm -hmm. Is the same true in psychiatry? Yeah, it's pretty much the same. Yeah, a lot of people have never gotten out of school. So they don't know what the real life is like. <laughs> so, so most of your professors had never had patients and never... Well, like they, they had patients, but well, like my point was those tools can be very convenient for users. It doesn't matter uh, where they're living or it doesn't matter what time they use. It's yeah. very convenient, but even though it was convenient for users, they don't think it's not that important. There are... What was more important for them was to follow what it has been done. So I could see that if any tool that is more reachable for users can be very, very helpful for those people who need help but who cannot reach any help. Yeah, I think it's um, certainly if you've got the clinical data mm -hmm. from research that's been done in New Zealand, mm -hmm. you're addressing a real problem of a big segment of society that needs help, but for social reasons mm -hmm. is afraid to go get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like something that should be appealing to a lot of people in yeah, that field. Yeah, yeah, but they don't see the importance that those people waiting for new things, like... There are people who need help but cannot take any action, but like they don't see the point. So after graduation, when they called you up, did they say, stop this? Or did they just say, why didn't you tell us? Oh, well, like they pretty much said, <laughs> um, yeah, they were trying to stop me, like stop the entire business. But then like I explained how I rented money from bank and like it, there's no way I can stop at this point. And they were like, okay, but... Still, they wanted to go to school and apologize to them for like not asking oh, permission. Grief. Yeah, <laughs> which is pretty sad because I went to school in U.S. and in Australia and worked at um, International Bank for several years. So I had I knew the international culture and like what's other schools all like overseas and even though the school that I went to was Todai it's supposed to be a top university in Japan but like they are so closed-minded which is pretty sad compared to other schools overseas it's very behind I mm. think yeah the other part of your your business now is Kokoro Works mm -hmm. which is uh, and Kokoro is Japanese for heart <laughs> yeah, yeah and works as in, like, as in works. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Basically, online counseling, like video chats and mm. things like that. What's been the reaction of, of, for example, your former professors and the mental mm. health professionals for that approach? Because that seems like a much smaller step. <laughs> well, I think they were upset about it, too. Yeah, they, they were upset about it, too. It's, 
even though those video counseling has been、uh, spreading in Japan,、right. it's been around for two to three years, and they knew about it, but they were still not okay with it because I was the one who was running the business, and I'm not as trained as I should be as a clinical counselor. That's what I th- they thought, even though I had supervisor to monitor me. Again, was the、yeah. concern really that you weren't qualified to be a counselor, or just that you were violating seniority by being in charge? Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, it's more about I think violating their、um, name of the school. I think,、mm. yeah. <laughs> How have people reacted to、mm. video counseling? Do、uh, well, a lot of people find it useful. Yeah, I get. Clients from across Japan, not only Tokyo or、uh, Kanto area. I get ca- clients from Osaka, Kanagawa, various places, and those are the places、uh, where they cannot find as many clinical psychologists as in Tokyo. So, do you think it's easier for people to do counseling、uh, over Skype than it is one on one? Well, depends. There are. Difficulties doing、um, video count- online counseling. I cannot see the precise or like very detailed change in facial expression or like、um, change in the color of face. But still, those are the people who could not find good counselor in that region. So、mm. um, it's not as same as face to face counselling, but I think it's still.、Um, Better than doing nothing. It certainly makes sense that you'd want to do counseling face to face. I mean, that's why we're、yeah. doing this yeah, interview face to face instead of over Skype. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about kind of the the state of mental health care in Japan.、Mm-hmm. So, is this kind of counseling, whether it's in person or、mm-hmm. over Skype, is that covered by、uh, health insurance here? If the psychiatrist follow this very specific manual of cognitive behavioral therapy, then it will be covered by insurance. But there are very few psychiatrists who, who are trained to do CBT in that method. So not many people can do、uh, therapy by insurance. Okay, so the insurance limits it to a really specific.、Mm-hmm. So, if therapy is not covered under the health insurance,、mm-hmm. how do most Japanese deal with depression? How do they seek treatment? They don't, and I think that's the problem. <laughs> Only one in four people seek for medical care, and those other seventy-five percent people do nothing, and they got worse. Then, like after finally the situation got really worse, like they. Cannot go to work, or they cannot go to school, or like、uh, friends or family is also affected. Like they wait until that point, and by the time they come to counseling or see psychiatrists, it's like the situation is very severe. And do you think it's because of the social stigma attached、mm-hmm. to it, or is it because of, well, treatment is expensive and it's not covered、mm-hmm. by insurance? It can be both ways, but there are certain kinds of Counseling that's very cheap as well. There are free phone counseling、mm-hmm. offered by government and、uh, NPO as well. So I think it's rather st- 
social stigma that they're afraid of. If that's the case, I mean, it certainly makes sense that tools like Sparks and your uh, your new AI project, mm -hmm. which we'll talk about in a minute, mm -hmm. would would address that. But actually, before we talk about the new uh, AI chatbot, mm -hmm. let's uh, let's talk about you for a minute. Okay. You did your undergraduate work in, in business and economics. Mm -hmm. um, you were working at Barclays mm -hmm. and Goldman Sachs. Mm -hmm. And then you went back to the University of Tokyo and got a master's in clinical psychology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Why? Yeah. <laughs> it was, well, I, I worked at Goldman uh, after I graduated told I just to support myself financially. But yeah, I worked at Barclays and went back to school. It was because I always wanted to study clinical psychology since I was high school because I don't know why, but I was kind of a person that get asked for advice a lot. So if there is student who stopped coming to school, even though we're not that close friend, those people reached me for like some reason. <laughs> and I was the one to listen to like what's gonna, what happened and things. So I was always interested in studying clinical psychology and also I studied abroad in Australia and in US and I found that counseling is more, well I guess there are stigma still but it was more reachable in those countries I think. It was more common to use compared to Japan so I wonder why Japan is like this. Like, right. Yeah, a lot of people are hesitant to use medical care or counseling. It sounds like this was something you've always wanted mm -hmm, to do. Mm -hmm. So what was the reason for kind of the detour into oh, yeah, was, economics yeah. and investment banking? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I wanted to study psychology in undergrad, but then I also wanted to study um, in international environment. Back then I just chose international environment and in that department that I went had all the courses in English but they didn't have psychology course so <laughs> I was like <laughs> I was going to take psychological course as a um, just a visitor but then like they didn't allow me to do that so I went to Chicago as an exchange student and I did psychology for one year thinking back and I was still like passionate about studying psychology but like since I did business in Japan I was like okay well let's maybe it's my last chance to be in business um, in the like finance industry and learn stuff so I just went to oh many pretty much to go to grad school okay what did your friends and family mm -hmm. think of your choice not only to to leave investment banking and do <laughs> psychology and then leave that to focus on this kind of startup it seems like you're you're getting more and more risky yeah. that's so true step. that's so true yeah i totally agree and yeah they were very surprised and i think they worried about me more than i worried about myself a lot of Japanese founders tell me the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, of course, their family wants the best for them yeah. and they're, they're worried. And uh -huh. Was that kind of the same attitude your parents had? They did, but they were very supportive at the same time. There were, like, my family members um, had psychological disorder as well. So, like, they, they knew the importance of it. So, they've been very supportive. 
Okay, so they, they could see you're doing a, a good thing and something mm -hmm. that could be very important. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, they are also very worried too. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, it's hard to make money as a, as a <laughs> Which I suppose is, is one of the reasons, I, I think over the last three or four years, mm -hmm. there's been a very much a growing awareness of mental health issues mm -hmm within the startup community, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, among founders, mm -hmm. among uh, some of the really hard-driving engineers, mm -hmm. where it's, it's recently become more acceptable to mm -hmm. admit that there's problems. Yeah, 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 I think so, yeah, totally. I think the society is more open to talk about it. Well, let's talk about your new uh, AI chatbot mm -hmm. program. What's your vision of how this is going to work when it rolls out? This is still a very rough idea, but I would like to have this another game application which you can talk to a character as if you're talking to a friend or family and uh, using AI I would like to let the character do CBT without the user actually noticing it, if that makes sense. <laughs> it, it, in a, so, it makes perfect sense. I, I think the the very first chatbot of all time yeah. was based on, uh, I forget the type of therapy. Uh, oh, really? Well, uh, oh, that, that I didn't know. Uh, yeah, Eliza in, oh. the, in the 60s. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I think it was, it was written in the 1960s oh. and it, was, uh, it emulated a particular type of psychotherapy okay. where the computer would, would mirror the questions mm -hmm. back to the user. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's fascinating that Chatbots are still uh, being used in that. <laughs> I see. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> so within cognitive behavioral therapy, mm -hmm. are the rules clear enough and simple enough that you think AI could be trained to do it as mm -hmm. well as a person? Yeah, well, there are certain kinds of phrase or way of saying for each cognitive distortion distortion that like for cognitive distortion called overgeneralization you would say things like oh I'm always this or like I'm always um, having bad day or like you know like there are certain way people use for each type of cognitive distortion so I think it's not that difficult to identify which cognitive distortion that user have so I would like to make the AI identify or um, define those cognitive distortion and let it suggest different idea or suggest different uh, way of thinking to users. Oh. Mm. And I would like to do it not as user talking to a therapist, it's more like user talking to a friend and the character would do it without actually noticed by user that they're doing CBT. So it wouldn't be obvious. No, no, no. So It'd it be would more be like more a, like a yeah. conversation. Yeah, and... yeah, like talking to a cute, unique character like Hello Kitty or Doraemon and like report your day and like they are, they'll be your friend and they just talk you back. And what do you see as the, the business model for this? Is this something, so chatbots are wonderful in that they, they scale up infinitely well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So is this something that you plan on giving away for free or that you try to integrate with mm -hmm. other products or mm -hmm. what do you want to do with it? Right now, what I'm thinking is to charge user monthly, but 
in the long term, I'd like to, well, like I, I would like to make several different products and at one, at certain point, I'd like to make the application as a medical device so that doctors can subscribe it, so prescribe it, and users don't have to pay that much. That sounds like a real challenge if the mental health community here、mm. in Japan is not supportive of like RPGs and <laughs> videos.、Yeah. What, what have they been saying about things like these, these chatbots? Or have you been kind of keeping this secret? Yeah. From them? <laughs> I think they would be very、um, hesitant to use it for a few years from now. But the thing is, there are several companies that are starting to make applications that can be covered by insurance. So once those applications are more spread and become more usual to use, then I think a, a prescribing gaming application sh- shouldn't be that hard Like after those applications are spread. What would you think about B2B applications、mm-hmm. where you could have a A business, particularly like an engineering firm, where their employees could use it anonymously with like yeah, no yeah, that, records. Yeah, that also works too. Yeah, I've been、um, doing sales for big companies too. Having a good reaction from them because it's very hard for a company as well if one of employees h a v e depression. It costs them a lot. Right. And, yeah, right. the team atmosphere gets really bad. So, they are having a problem with it too. So, so what, is, what is the attitude among corporate Japan、mm-hmm. about mental health issues? Is that something they're trying to address? Yeah, yeah, they've been trying really hard to improve the situation and they've been、uh, using several services and several、um, different kinds of products. But it's usually the product that they. Provide after those workers get depression.、Right. So, currently, there aren't much things done for prevention. And I'm telling them that can be prevention because it teaches how you should be thinking and like different k i n d of cognitive distortion and like how to reduce stress. So, like if you do it in advance, then there are less c h a n c e of getting depression. The appeal seems really clear on the, on the business side, particularly、mm-hmm. for like a chatbot.、Mm-hmm. Where for the business owner, they can get the benefit of having、mm-hmm. a, a more motivated workforce.、Mm-hmm. And from the individuals, I mean, if it's done right,、mm-hmm. the business owners don't know which employees、mm-hmm. are, are using the chatbot.、Mm-hmm. They don't know what they're telling yeah, them. Yeah. <laughs> it, it seems like it would, everyone would benefit, and you know, a lot of companies be willing to pay for that. Yeah. And plus, research shows that if you have depression, then their productivity level decreased by 11%. And as I said, 75% of people who have depression d o e s n t seek medical treatment, which means a lot of people just continue working with low level of productivity. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I think that, that describes a lot of the Japanese workforce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, if It can be prevented in advance. And those o w n e r of the business k n o w the problem. They, they know a lot of people have depression or like、uh, depressed a little bit. And that even though they can do better, like they are not being able to do their best because of the depression. Like a lot of owners see it as a pro- problem and they have been noticing it. So they 
yeah, they have been very interested in my products. I bet, and, and this would be very interesting to see business take the lead on this, where the mental health community is so conservative mm-hmm. and so protective of mm-hmm. their own territory mm-hmm. that the business side is the one looking for the results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are a huge gap of service receiver and service provider because the service provider are so conservative and they don't change the way. So, yeah, and I think that's why a lot of startups started to um, doing healthcare or mental care business because they started to realize those gaps. Well, listen, before we wrap up, mm-hmm. I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is, if I gave you a magic wand mm-hmm. and I told you that you could change one thing about Japan, Anything at all. <laughs> Anything. So the education system, the uh-huh. way people think about risk, the way people think about mental health treatments, uh-huh. anything at all to make it better for startups and innovation here in Japan. Ah, for startups and innovation. Yeah. What would you change? I would say the education. I don't think many schools offer good entrepreneurship course. And since not many entrepreneur has enough information for startup. I've seen a lot of startups having issues with investors or um, I mean like I'm trying to say like what's happening right now in Japan is that since a lot of entrepreneurs are not that educated to negotiate with investors, a lot of angel investors take too much portion of shares. But since they don't know what's global standard, and since there are the entrepreneurs are very suffering to get money, they would just agree with the offer. And like later on, they notice, well, like this is too much portion. Like they're t- yeah. taking too much. So you would increase the the education of of kind of the mechanics of of how to run a business and how to start mm-hmm, and what's mm-hmm. appropriate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Plus, if being entrepreneur becomes more common through those. Uh, courses, other department like normal uh, education department like where I was <laughs> will be more open to have student running business. So, <laughs> I could see that. but for example, I'm imagining even if um, well, Todai has courses in entrepreneurship, right? They do, they do. But, but that thing your is... your faculty probably would not have been too happy with yeah. you taking those courses. Yeah, that's that's so true too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I hope that having student entrepreneur will be more common in Japanese universities. So the University of Tokyo, Todai, Mm -hmm. has got, um, it's actually one of the better entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. programs in Japanese universities now. From what I see, one of the biggest problems is that the different departments don't work together. Mm -hmm. So when you were at Todai, did, did your faculty kind of have the impression that, well, the psychology department, mm-hmm. This we study these topics, and entrepreneurship is for the business students, mm-hmm. and were, were they open to the idea of mm-hmm. different departments working together? No, I don't think so, because the thing is, I was working or like collaborating with those entrepreneurship course uh, department people, and I was asking them advice, and they were happy to give me, and they've been, they had been very supportive. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> on, on the entrepreneur side. Yeah. Okay. 
But you had to keep this a secret yeah. from the psychiatry side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like right after they found out that I was preparing for it while I was in school, I explained how I was being having contact with the entrepreneur department, and they weren't happy at all. And the, what's worse is that after I told those entrepreneurship department that I'm having problem with educational or psychological department. They weren't happy either, so they were. I think they become a little bit more reluctant to support me. Did they do anything, or were they just being unhappy? Did they try to resolve the problem, or they were just、uh, no? They were just sitting there, <laughs> just unhappy. <independent> <laughs> <Yeah> . That's not terribly helpful. <laughs> After all, those departments are for you know school side as well, so. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think it's it would be one of the most important things that I think universities can do, in addition to generally providing information and, and instruction about、mm. entrepreneurship, is kind of opening up the the silos, letting computer scientists work with people studying medicine、mm-hmm. and designers work with people studying civil engineering、mm-hmm. and that kind of cross pollination.、Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think that was a a problem on the the psychiatry side and the medical side,、mm-hmm. uh, or was do you think that was across all departments in the university? Are some better than others? Ah,、uh, some better than others. I think those technology departments are more open to have entrepreneur students. Maybe as we see more and more. Med- medical technology startups、yeah. and more startups like yours,、mm-hmm. the medical school and the psychiatry departments will open up and be a little more tolerant and supportive of、yeah. people trying this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so too. Hey, listen. Thank you so much for sitting down with oh, me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And we're back. Ayako's experience with her university professors is a perfect microcosm of why it can still be so hard to introduce meaningful innovation in Japan. At Tokyo University, Ayako had to hide her efforts from the very professors who, in most Western universities, would be the most encouraging and most anxious to help her. Hikari Labs was not violating legal or ethical rules. They were not putting patients at any kind of risk. They were guilty only of doing something new, basically, innovating without permission. Even though this innovation is happening after she graduated, and even though it's providing positive results for more people at a lower cost, her professors tried to shut her down. And then demanded an apology because doing something new might somehow reflect poorly on her alma mater. I have to admit that this guaranteed safety and correctness of the existing hierarchy in Japan drives me a bit crazy at times, and it's one of the strongest forces holding back innovation here. Of course, Ayako and those like her are not letting themselves be held back. While academia might not see the merit in solving actual problems, it's good to see that Japanese business does. Even though mental health issues still carry a stigma in Japan, 
Japanese companies understand that it's hurting their bottom line in a very measurable way. And they're willing to invest in innovative products that might help them improve things. Add to that the government's recent focus on pushing companies to provide a better work-life balance for their workers, and it means that more attention will be paid to mental health issues in the coming years. And there should be an expanding market for Hikari Lab's mental health games. It's rare to find a startup that provides such an obvious win-win for all parties involved. If you've got a story about mental health or maintaining a work-life balance, we'd love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 083 and tell us about it. And when you come by the site, you'll see all the links and notes that Ayako and I talked about and much, much more in the resources section of the post. And most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan. Disrupting Japan is a proud member of the Japan Podcast Network. It's a community of some of the best audio content about Japan. So if you're looking for other high-quality podcasts about Japan, check out the other shows in the Japan Podcast Network.